Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. I um, was planning last, I guess two Sunday nights ago, to start a sermon series on the doctrine of Scripture, all that the Bible is, and how to um, how to love the Bible. But um, everything I wanted to cover in that, I wasn't going to finish before um, before our son is born. So um, I figure a few weeks will probably be sporadic when the baby comes. So I figured I'd wait and do that in the fall. So I am just in the spring, kind of preaching one-off sermons the whole time. So um, I'm, I'm a lot of times going to focus on just one verse and see what we can mine out of just one verse together. So tonight's going to be John 16, verse 33. It's a favorite verse of many. Um, my favorite TV show is Lost. Lost. Uh, it's a TV show that was on TV back in the early 2000s, 2004 through 2010. I've watched it three times in my life. Um, I started a fourth time about a year ago, and I fell off watching about 10 episodes in. Um, if you don't know, I, I think you probably do, but if you don't, it's about an um, airplane that crashes on an island, and all these survivors are trying to survive on an island together. And um, they learn they were actually a 1,000 miles off their directed path, so nobody knows where they are, so they got to survive. It's six seasons. It follows them on the island, and um, but by the end of the show, there's only about eight of the original passengers still alive. Spoiler, I'm sorry, but I didn't tell you who they were. Um, I watched the show for the first time the summer I graduated college, so I didn't watch it on TV when it aired. I watched it after it had aired, and while I was watching it, I fought the temptation to look up spoilers online. So I'm about you know, two seasons from the end, and I'm just wondering, I got to know how this ends. I just want to know so bad. And so I ended up at a moment of weakness Googling what happens by the end of the show before I finish the show. So I learned what characters live and what characters die. And you would think, well, that'll ruin the show. Why'd you do that? It did a little, but here's something about the show that changed for me when that happened. When certain characters that I knew make it to the end, we're in mortal peril, I didn't have to be concerned. I was at peace. I knew they were going to be okay because I know how the story ends. I know they're ultimately safe. I didn't have to worry. They could endure any kind of peril, and I know they're going to be okay in the end. The night Jesus was arrested, which happens during Easter week, the week that we're entering into, he spent some time with his disciples and he took the Lord's Supper with them together. He taught them many things in John 13 through 16. And then he prayed for them in the Garden of Gethsemane, chapter 17 of John. And then he prayed alone. He did his prayer where he said, um, I, uh, not, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. He was then arrested. So as he taught his disciples his final night with them, uh, to cap off his teaching from chapters 13 through 16, he caps it off with 
this verse that we're about to read, one of the most comforting verses in the Bible for many people. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. First thing we see from this verse is that tribulation is guaranteed. Tribulation is guaranteed. Jesus guarantees the disciples something. Jesus guarantees the disciples that in the world they will have tribulation. It is certain. It's going to be the case. The Greek word used there for tribulation implies persecution. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. It's persecution. It's affliction. It's distress. It's something like that. It's pressure, both literal and figurative. It's important for you to understand that because we tend to read verses like this and assume it's just talking about the trials of life, the thing that naturally happens to everybody, like sickness or losing loved ones. Uh, Why do we do that, I wonder? Why is that the only place that we take this? We don't even, we don't go to the realm of of being hard-pressed by the world for our faith like Jesus was, was trying to get at. Well, I think probably the reason we do that is we don't know persecution in the United States. We don't know it. Until a few decades ago, we have not known what it's like to be hard-pressed for our faith. Um, probably began around the 60s or the 70s. Culture started to go secular, and you're seeing a lot of the fruit of that in the 2000s. I think, um, I think it will, um, it, it'll be for a while. Um, I, I don't think it'll ever really be in America what, what they experienced in the Roman Empire, maybe, but, but I think every time that happens, the church kind of pushes back against it. Um, I think what, what you're going to see in America is much more likely going to be what's in Europe today. Um, so in Europe today, Europe was a very Christian place 200 years ago. Um, today, it's a very secular place. Very few people go to church in Europe. And it's not that they're really antagonistic toward Christians. They're just apathetic toward Christianity. They don't care. Christianity is not physically harmed there, but what once was a thriving Christian continent is now very secular. Christianity's on the margins. But the church that is there is faithful and thriving. They're small, but they're faithful and thriving. On the other side of things, um, we've seen an example this week of, of, of someone pressing against Christians for their faith. Um, you know, I was, I was affected by the shooting that happened this week in ways that I'm not usually affected by, um, in that um, we see so many tragedies these days on the news that I'm almost numb to them at this point. Um, I don't really, like, grieve over them because it's just another tragedy that we've seen five of already this month. Um, but I was really affected by the one this week because whether or not it was, it was intended, um, that this person went into this Christian school and took out the pastor's kid because the church believed a certain doctrine, whether or not the shooter targeted the pastor's kid, we don't know, but it just hit me in a certain way of, of someone could target my child because of what I teach. That, that hit me in a certain way that other tragedies don't. Lord willing, that isn't the normal, but it could be. It could be. Because Jesus says, in the world we will have tribulation. It's going to come. We should expect it. But Jesus is implying here it's a guarantee that Christians are going to be persecuted in the world. 
He's, when, he, when he says this verse, I think this verse can be very comforting in physical sickness and physical ailments. Like, like we can cling to this verse in that. But Jesus is not talking about physical ailments in verse 33. He's overcome that too, praise God. And you can take great hope in the fact that in your physical ailments, that's not the end of the story for you. But greater pain comes from the pressures the world brings on us, which is what Jesus is addressing because he's been doing that for all of John 16. Greater pain comes from that. We receive pressure from the world for our faith. So, so ask yourself the question, are you being persecuted for the faith? If not, why are you not experiencing any persecution? If Jesus says, in the world you will have persecution, tribulation, that's the word that he's using in Greek, it's a question to ask. If Jesus says that's guaranteed for you and you're not experiencing it, why? Why are you not feeling any pressure from the world for your faith? Because remember, 2 Timothy 3.12 says that um, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live that life for Jesus will be persecuted. Scripture says if you're living a godly life, if you're being faithful to Jesus, you will experience hardship for that. Not you might be persecuted. Not you'll be persecuted if you live, if you happen to live in Chicago or a big city like that. No, it says you will be persecuted. You will be. So do you ever experience any kind of persecution? Maybe not getting shot at, but, but any kind of pressure from the world, any kind of pushback from the world. Do you ever experience that? Well, yeah, of course I do. I mean, those Democrats up in Washington are running America into the ground. Okay, I agree, but, but outside of you getting angry when you watch the news about that, does it really affect you as a Christian? Not does it affect your bank account, not does it affect, you know, anything like that. Does it affect you as a Christian? Do you experience mounting pressure against your faith in any way by those people in Washington? Like, if you stopped watching the news and you knew nothing about what was going on in Washington, would you have any persecution against your faith from what is going on up there? I'm talking about, do you ever experience actual pressure or antagonism from other people to your face from the world because you're a Christian? Perhaps they, this could be from unbelievers. Perhaps they hate Christians because they had a bad experience with church at some point, or they don't like the, the, the exclusivity of Christ that we claim Jesus is the only way, and they have a good friend who's a Muslim, and how dare we say that about them. Or, or maybe they don't like the church's views on sexuality and gender, whatever it is. This could also be from religious people. We could experience persecution from religious people. May I remind you that it was not the unbelieving world that orchestrated the death of Jesus. It was the religious people. In the 1500s, it was not the unbelieving atheist who rose up and burned the reformers at the stake. It was the Catholic Church. Do you ever experience persecution in any way? If you don't, then ask why. Why? what's causing your Christian life to not be in people's face that they're, that they're opposing you? Notice what Jesus says. He says, I've said this to you so that you can have peace because you're going to have tribulation. I have said this to you so you will have peace 
because you're going to have tribulation. I want to offer you peace, he says, because tribulation's guaranteed. Implying that if you live in the way Jesus has described in John 13 through 16, what, what he's called his disciples to, you're going to face opposition for it. Th think about John 13 through 16. I encourage you to read it at some point soon. Um, it's just a glorious section of teaching by Jesus. But what you know about that section, think about some of the things Jesus has called his disciples to. John 13, radical love for one another in the Christian community. Remember John 13, he gets down and washes his disciples' feet to show them what, um, what, what kind of life they should live. The most powerful being in all the universe stumps down and washes dirty feet. Like, like that's the life he's calling them to. That, that's not enough for the demanding, unsaved world, though. They, they want more love than that, right? That They don't think that kind of love is enough. you got to do more. Or you have the exclusive claim in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That'll get people mad. Or John 14, 12, where Jesus tells them that, um, it, I, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. That doesn't mean we do... Um, more amazing works than Jesus. We're not feeding 6,000 and we're not walking on a bigger lake than Jesus did. No, it's, it's we're doing more works than Jesus did because he had three years in one little region of the world. We as the church are doing way more, way greater works in, in number than he did because we are in all the world and we've got our whole life. That, that's what that's implying. So the world will oppose you, because it's pushing back, because we're pushing back against the darkness, and the darkness fights back. Or the second half of John 14, living by the Holy Spirit. God is here in us, and the world hates God. Or chapter 15, abiding in Christ. The world hates Christ. Those who abide in him deeply are part of him. So they will experience that hatred. Or John 16, uh, verses 8 through 11, where it talks about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The world fights back against conviction, don't they? They don't want you convicting them for anything. They don't want that. They don't want their sins being exposed because they love their sin. This is, the, this is just a, a few things that Jesus teaches his disciples in these chapters. To cap it all off, he tells them they're going to be persecuted. If we're living the life Jesus lays forward in these chapters... Persecution will come to us as metal does to a magnet. So if you never experience any form of persecution, you need to ask yourself why. Maybe you don't get punched in the face, but does anybody ever get upset at you because you're a Christian? If we're to be in the world, but not of the world, as Jesus says we are, if we're to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, as Jesus says we are, calling for sinners to repent and calling sinners to trust Jesus with their life, if we're living the holy life that Jesus called us to and talking about him, why are we not persecuted? I think most Christians are not persecuted in America because they live their life in such a way where um, no one knows they're a Christian can't tell you how many people I know who, who I say about them, you know, I don't think they're an atheist. I don't know if they're saved or not. It, it, here's the deal. If I don't know if they're saved, either they aren't or there is something majorly wrong with them. Because I never have to sit there and wonder, I just don't know if they're married or not. 
I just, I wonder, but I mean, they got a, I mean, they got a wedding ring on, but that doesn't tell me anything. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I never have to wonder that because I know, because you, that there's some outward changes that happen if you're married or not. The, the same is true with those who are saved. Are you living your life in such a way where no one knows you're a Christian, especially the world? If that's the case, you will experience no persecution. You will experience no persecution. We do everything we can to escape persecution, don't we? We do the opposite of what countries where Christianity is illegal does. Like in, in certain countries in the world, you can't go to church legally. They can arrest you for it, and they risk it all, and they go. They get baptized when they get saved in joy, knowing that they might get disowned by their family or executed for it. It's a question of, would we do that? If obedience to Jesus meant we were going to be hated by our family or maybe even executed, would we obey? Or would we make excuses for why that passage of Scripture uh, that, that, that we're disobeying doesn't apply to us? Or why it's okay that you know, we don't obey that? Here, where Christianity is illegal, I'm very thankful for religious freedom. I think it's, I think it's one of the bedrocks of American society. But here where, um, here where we have religious freedom, we shut up at the slightest chance of somebody saying a mean word to us about our faith. It's why the church in England, um, it's why we see so many churches and denominations caving on so many issues. It's why the church in England is currently in a debate on whether or not to affirm homosexual marriage. You will deny biblical teaching that has existed for 2,000 years if it means not offending somebody or, someone, or, or keeping someone from getting mad at you. We do everything we can to escape persecution here. Usually that means we just stay silent about our faith. But be fully aware, if you publicly follow Jesus, the world will come against you in tribulation. So the first thing we know from this verse is that tribulation is guaranteed. The second is that peace is offered. Peace is offered to us. In the midst of that, in the midst of the tribulation, we're offered peace. Tribulation is guaranteed. Peace is offered. You have to tap into the peace. It's going to be important that these disciples know that, that there's peace offered in the midst of tribulation, because, that they can have peace in tribulation when it comes, because the next few decades for these men are going to be rough. I mean, they're going to be rough. They're going to be fulfilling. They're going to have so many pictures of God doing wonderful things in the world, but it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard. The next few hours alone for them is going to be rough. Look at verse 32 of chapter 16. The hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered each of, to his own home and will leave me alone, yet I'm not alone, for the Father's with me. That's the next few hours for them. The world is going to come against Jesus. The disciples are going to scatter. They all had confidence that they would stand by Jesus when the rubber met the road. You know, Peter said, I, I won't deny you. If every single one of those fools denies you, I'm still with you, Jesus. And he's out in a flash. They scatter. They go running away. As far as we know, Peter and John are the only ones to go that, that go and check in on him after he's arrested. That you know they, they follow behind him, but Peter ends up running off. Um, John is the only disciple recorded to show up at the crucifixion. Um, maybe they were all there. We don't know, but John's the only one that the Bible mentions as at the crucifixion. They failed him. 
They did not keep their word and, and stay with him as they said that they would. They all probably felt greatly discouraged. And Jesus knew that was going to happen, so that's why he said, verse 33, in the midst of that, they can have peace. What in? Well, we'll get to that. The next few decades for these guys are going to be rough. Uh, the 11 disciples, remember Judas left, so the 11 that are left, of those 11, 10 of them are going to be killed for their faith. 10 of them. Peter gets crucified, Andrew gets crucified, James gets beheaded, Matthew gets stabbed to death, Thomas gets speared to death. We know Philip died, we don't know how he was killed, but we know he's killed for the faith. Nathaniel got whipped to death. Simon the Zealot got martyred, we don't know how. James the Less got stoned to death. Thaddeus got martyred, we don't know how. All we, we know John will be attempted to be boiled alive. They'll put him in a pot and try and deep fry him. That won't kill him, so they'll send him off to Patmos, which was not a, you know, was not an all-inclusive resort. It was a bad place. You know, they send him there in essentially a work camp, and he'll survive that. And he probably dies of old age when he's released from Patmos, but not without great tribulation. The next few decades are going to be rough for these guys. Peace is offered to them in the midst of that. Peace in a great truth. That though the world persecutes them, Jesus has overcome the world. They can know how the story ends before it happens so that they can endure the peril and the chaos and not lose heart. And so Jesus gives them a command. That's the third thing we can see from this verse. Take heart. Actually, the, um, I think other translations put it this way, and, and I know the Greek reads this way. Be of good cheer. That's, that's the idea. Be of good cheer. It's a peace. This isn't a piece of what, what I often hear people say when they're going through hard times of, you know, a lot of people have it much worse than I do. I hear that a lot. What if you changed your phrase there? Because it's kind of depressing when you think about it. Someone has a really hard situation that they're going through, and I tell them I'm sorry, and they respond, there's a lot of people worse off than me. Well, that's not super encouraging when I see the situation you're in. There's something worse than this? What if you start responding differently? You're going through something hard, and I say, I'm sorry. And you respond, it's okay. Jesus is risen, and I will someday too. Jesus is risen, and I will someday too. Because when you say that, I can say, yes, yes, that's true. Praise God. Think of how much that encourages me to hear, and think of how much that opens up doors for you to speak to others about Jesus. Because he's overcome. We take heart in the fact that he has overcome. Because that's our hope and tribulation. Believers in India that are persecuted are not saying, you know, it's okay that we go through this because believers in China have it worse than we do. No, they're rejoicing that Jesus is risen no matter what, what is done to them. That, 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 cannot be turned, uh, that, that cannot be overturned that Jesus is risen, and they will never be separated from the love of God. Romans 8, 35-39, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, um, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor principalities, nor anything height or depth can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. Notice the repetition in this verse of the word world. 
the word world. In the world, you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. It's used twice. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but don't worry. I've overcome the world. I'm above the world. It's the Greek word cosmos, which means world. Um, But even more than that, it means universe. You think of the word cosmology. It's the study of the universe. That's where we get the word from. Jesus has overcome the universe. That is, if the entire universe imploded, Jesus would still be king. How did he do this, though? How did he overcome the world? Well, he did it through the gospel. He did it through the thing that we're celebrating for the next week, that event in history. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he bore all his enemies on his shoulder. Sin and all of its consequences and its curse were on his shoulder. That's the idea of the curse of the world being on his forehead. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. Where did that come from? It came from Genesis 3, when God told Adam that thorns and thistles are going to be all over the ground as a sign of the curse to you. He's got the curse of the world on his head. He's got the power of hell on his head. He's got the system of the world, the authority of the devil, the power of death itself. He bore it all in his body and died. Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He died under the weight of the curse. He became a curse for us under the weight of all of it, and death snatched him up. And he held those things in a vice grip as death pulled him in. He pulled them in there with him, and he died. He went to the grave with them. And then bursting out of the grave on Easter Sunday, he rose and left those things in the grave. He rose victorious over those things and left them there. Now he stands as the risen king, never to die again, and nothing else will have victory over him anymore. He has overcome. The Greek word for therefore overcome is, is a perfect tense. Uh, you don't need a Greek lesson here, but just understand, we don't have anything in English like a, like a perfect tense. We have past, present, and future tense, right? So verbs in our language are past, present, and future. I um, uh, past, I ran on the track. Present, I am running on the track. Future, I'm going to run on the track. There's no real thing of a perfect tense in our language. But perfect tense verbs carry the idea of this is how things, this, this is how things are and how they're always going to be, never to change again. I have overcome the world. It's a perfect tense. He has overcome and nothing will ever overcome him again. He has overcome So in light of that, what's he tell them to do? Take heart. Be of good cheer. The word literally means be of good cheer. It's like that feeling you get at Christmas time when cheer's in the air. You you, you take up that as a discipline because it's Christmas Day. It's always Christmas Day, but even better. Christmas Day remembers that Jesus is born. Take heart that Jesus is born again from the dead. He's risen, never to die again. It's Christmas time all the time. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer that Jesus has overcome, and he doesn't leave the overcoming to us. Like he doesn't tell his disciples, you know, take heart, I've overcome, and you can too, if you just try hard enough. No, he doesn't do that. He says, take heart, because I have overcome, period, period. The work is done. The work's accomplished. 
I have overcome the world, so you can take heart and be of good cheer in me that I've overcome. So no matter the tribulation that we face in this life, Jesus has overcome and we can take heart. We already know how the story ends. We, we know how the story ends. We know what characters are alive at the end, and that's us. So no matter the peril we face, no matter how hard things get for us, we can take heart because Jesus has overcome forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you that you have overcome. We praise you that you have conquered death and the grave forever. And we don't have to do that now. We don't have to overcome the grave because you've already done it. You're not, in a, you're not giving us an example to follow. You're giving us a victory to live in. So I praise you for that, Lord. And as tribulation comes, and it will, Lord, it may get worse for us here in the United States. It may stay at the level that it's at. We may end up like Europe one day where people are really apathetic toward Jesus. We may end up like Saudi Arabia where they're killing Christians. I don't know what the future of America holds, but I know who holds the future, and I know who's overcome the grave. And so no matter what comes our way, Lord, help us to take heart that Jesus is risen and give our lives to him fully. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.